Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale of goblins and elves and miscoated dells and heroes who strive to prevail. Young Ali felt rested and hopeful again after a night at the old man's gimmick. She broke her fast early on pancakes blueberry and walked out the door with a skip. You're listening to Ali Odds and the Ali Odds Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 4 The Stinky Boot Blues. Ali. The sky was pale blue in the morning sun, and the scent of cured cheese hung heavily in the air as Talia led me down the curved streets of Derry. She told me the city was renowned for its cheese and milk products, and that even the king's buyers bought exclusively from cheese made within the city walls. As we walked, I noticed that there was at least one cheese shop for every couple of blocks, outside of which food sellers arranged winter produce on covered carts. Squash, cabbage, turnips, parsnips, potatoes, and the like. The city was shaped like a sundial, with a castle at the center and streets circling in rings around it. Talia led me in a wide arc on a single street, and then inwards towards the castle, to another quarter of town where shopkeepers waved to Talia with a yawn as they fit key to door and began their day. Talia seemed to know everyone, and had a story about everything. That shop is where you can get the best socks in the whole city. I don't know what they do to knit the wool so finely, but you can wear them in the fiercest cold and never feel the slightest hint of chill in your toes. My sister Frankie has a bit of an obsession with their socks. Her feet are always cold, but not in those socks. Darn tough they are. Oh, and there is where you can find the most exquisite hand-carved cutlery. Have you lived here your whole life? You seem to know everything about Derry. No, actually. I've only been here for about... mm, Ten years or so? It's where I met Frankie. And then Rose, and it's just become home over time. Wait, you met them here? I I thought you three were sisters. I stared up at Talia, and remembered how she was much taller than either Frankie or Rose. And how Rose's hair was much darker than Talia or Frankie's, and how Frankie's eyes were much bluer than Rose's or Talia's. It didn't sum up to sisterdom. Talia smiled, and her gaze went somewhere long on the distant past. We aren't sisters by blood, no. We all came from different parts of law, and have different backgrounds and different lives. But sometimes you meet people who who make you feel more you than you ever were alone. And that's family to me. Sisters, well, not by birth, but sisters by life. Does that make sense? I guess so. At least in theory. I've only had my family family, but I I just left them, so... You'll find your family someday, Ellie. Have no fear about that. She smiled with her eyes in a way that reminded me of Bertram, and suddenly I missed him very intensely. He had been like a father to me since Pa died, which was quite the blow, and in some ways he knew me better than Mum, or Jamie, or even Grandbauer. He had always made me feel more me than other people. Maybe I did know what Talia was talking about. Soon we arrived at a shop with shoes and boots in the window, haphazardly illuminated by candles. The sign that hung above the door was shaped like a shoe, and read, The Eternal Soul. Here you are, Ellie. Don't work too hard. Thanks, Talia. A small bell jingled when I opened the door, and I walked inside the shop. Is that you, Ellie? Come on in. Shelf after shelf of boots, shoes, slippers, and sandals lined the walls of the Eternal Soul, crammed into every nook and cranny that could hold a heel. Several spiders had made cozy homes for themselves in the corners of the front room, and the wooden floorboards were dirty, even for my standards, and I grew up in a cottage with a dirt floor. But despite the shop's appearance, Grint's shoes were works of art. The colors, the designs, the stitching. He was an artisan, all right. A whitewashed wall divided the shop into a front half and a back half, and a small wooden counter stood between the divide. There was a staircase beside the counter, which I guess led up to Grint's living quarters. I walked to the counter and saw Grint in the back room, stitching a decorative strip of leather onto a tall orange boot. He looked like he'd barely slept. Ah, good morning, Ali. Ow! Bloody thing. He set down his needles and rose to greet me. Welcome to the Eternal Soul. It's not much, but it's my home and my living. Come on into the back. I can pour a cup of tea for you. Sure. Wonderful. 
how are you this morning? No worse for the ale, are we? <laughs> no, thankfully. You? Yeah, I've had better nights. He handed me a cup of tea, the dark leafy stuff that I heard was common in the north, and quite different from the herbals I was used to. We sat awkwardly for a moment, both sipping our tea, not really sure where to begin, and then I asked, So, what, what kind of work do you need me to do? Right, work. Uh, well, the main thing is I need help interacting with the customers. I'll make lots of shoes and all, but much of what I do is repair, and I need to be able to work in a timely manner, elsewise my orders get all backed up. So, if you can handle the people, I can handle the shoes. Can you do sums? Yeah. Can you write? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow, that's a bonus. Most people in town can't. I barely can. But that'll help a lot with taking orders. He walked me through the basics of how he kept shop, and told me about what he felt separated his shoes from other shoemakers in town. How his came with a 10-year guarantee, how he took custom orders, how he tanned and dyed the leather himself to make sure it was supple as could be. I asked him to repeat the process of taking down orders a few times, but it seemed pretty basic overall. It mostly sounded like he didn't much enjoy talking to people, and wanted a bit of peace to focus on his work. I spent the whole morning shadowing him, and watching how he fit people into the right shoe, how he took down notes for repairs, and how he organized the shoes on the shelves. He offered to pay me five coppers a day for as long as I wanted the work, and it seemed fair enough. Around midday, we took a break for lunch. He showed me upstairs to his living quarters. They were small, and likewise in need of a good dusting, but they were cozy enough for a man on his own. Grint gestured to a chair at the table, and brought out a plate of cheese and bread. I looked around the rooms as I ate, noticing decorative wooden carvings and reed-woven ornaments hanging on the walls. And then I noticed a shiny green shirt resting in a pile of other shiny shirts on a wooden dresser. The cheese caught in my throat. <coughs> you alright? <coughs> yeah. <coughs> um... Ooh, ah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Grint? Yeah? He looked up at me and continued eating. Where'd you get that shirt? What shirt? That one, uh, that, that green one there. I rose up from my chair and walked to the shiny green shirt on the dresser. I picked it up and examined the sleeves. There it was. The rip that Joe had made with her fingernails before tossing the shirt to me on the road. I spun around to face Grint. How did you get this? What's it matter? Joe and Graham! They stole this shirt and, and gave it to me! And, and then they stole it again! Ali! They were here? Yes, but... And, and you let them walk away? It's not that simple. Isn't it, though? When were they here? Did they have Grand Bauer? Ali! Did they? Did they have Grand Bauer? I, I don't know! Ali! Uh, please, listen! I didn't bring them here. I promise. They, they picked the lock when I was out at the old man's gimmick last night. And they were in here when I turned up. Well, then, why the heck didn't you call the guards? Well, my head wasn't as clear as it could have been. And, and like I said, it's, it's always confusing when Mom and Dad show up. I hate them for what they do, Ali. More than you, I swear. But they're my parents. And even after all they've done, there's still a part of me that believes they can't be all bad. Because... Oh, how could I be good if I came from them? You said you was good at sums, right? Well, then you do the math. If I turn them out, I, I turn away another chance for them to prove me right. The math didn't add up, but not in the way he meant. So, how many times do they need to prove you wrong, then? How many times do they need to come back after a robbery or a heist or a murder? They've never murdered no one. To prove that they're not going to change. Okay, they may not have put a knife to my throat, Grint, but they sure as heck meant for me to die. And you let them go. <sighs> You've betrayed me. Just like them. No, it's not that simple, Ali. You're the one talking about good and bad. If you want to do good, then turn in bad. How much simpler can it be? Then maybe it's not about good and bad. Okay, maybe I, I did bad by letting my parents go this morning. Hmm? Maybe I did bad, giving them tea and, and breakfast and a hug goodbye. And maybe it was bad that for a single morning I felt like I had a family. But maybe I'm also bad for still wanting them to be caught. And maybe it's bad that I'm paying you to work in my shop so that maybe 
Just maybe you can catch them. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it just is, Ali. I glared at him, still upset and unsatisfied by his answer. His face was streaming with silent tears, and he looked as if he'd had his heart clawed out from the inside. That didn't make me less angry with him. But I noticed that my anger now seemed to come from the frustration that what he spoke had truth in it. And I didn't like that truth, because it contradicted my own feelings and desires. <sighs> Did they have Granbauer? I don't know. Like I said, my, my head wasn't straight. But they said they were planning to head north. Now, don't take that as truth. They say all kinds of things, but they'll be steering clear of Derry for a while, and north's as good a heading as any. I swear, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you, and suddenly the bells on the front door jingled, and we heard footsteps shuffle into the shop. I, I really am sorry, Ali, but my deal still stands. Honest pay for honest work. I looked at Grint, and his eyes were so deep and so sad and so earnest that I thought I would cry. Hello? Is there anyone here? I clenched my jaw and took a deep breath. I nodded my head. You'll get him back, Ali. I promise. Hello? I'm waiting. We walked down the stairs and found an elderly man with a faded velvet tunic tapping his foot and standing with his arms crossed. He held two sour-looking shoes in his hand, nearly as sour-looking as his pompous expression. I'll be right behind you if you need any help. Mm-hmm. Grint went behind the counter and listened as I attempted my first sale. Hello, sir. Uh, sorry about the wait. You caught us during lunch. What can we do for you? The man stared at me blankly and held up his dilapidated dandies. I'm in need of a new pair of shoes. Ah, yes, well, you've come to the right place, sir. We've got the best shoes in town. Is that so? Well, we like to think so. What kind of shoe are you interested in? Something similar to this pair, I should think. Right, well, sh shoes like that are... I shot a look at Grint. Then he nodded to a shelf on the left-hand side of the store. Uh, over here! Yeah, uh, right this way. I took him to the shelf and picked out a few shoes that looked similar to the ones he was holding. We found a pair that was close in construction and comparable in size, and he examined them like a jeweler eyeing a garnet. Hmm. Hmm. No. What else do you have? Well, like this? Just the things on this shelf. I peeked over my shoulder and, and looked at Grint for confirmation. He nodded. Oh, but we have many other styles to choose from. Uh, like these over here, which are... Boots. Uh, low-cut low cut boots. Low-cut boots for fashionable people. And, and you seem like a man of fashion to me. The man raised an eyebrow, as if the compliment was not only desired, but expected. Yes, I am. These are your fashion boots, are they? Another look at Grint. Another nod. Yes. Yes, they are. What about this pair? I held out a shiny pair of brown leather boots. He eyed it for a moment. Mm, no, too droll. Uh, all right, uh, what about these? I held out a boot made of deep purple leather with silver stitching. No one could miss you walking into the room in a pair of boots like this. He took the boot and gave it his inspection. No, I don't much like the color. But I do like the style. Do you have any others? Perhaps a turquoise? Uh, we just might. I had no idea what turquoise was. I helped him rummage through the shelf for a similar pair, but frankly, all the boots looked the same to me. Just different colors. He found a suitable pair first, in olive green that matched the tunic he was wearing. Hmm. Do you have them in a wider make? I'm afraid my feet have rather flattened as the years have gone by. In fact, my wife has taken to calling me a silly old goose when I walk around barefoot in the dressing room. We do, sir. And if you're especially goosed, we take custom orders. Oh, oh funny one you are. <laughs> Let's try on the wider pair, then. The man went to the small bench we had in the middle of the shop and sat down expectantly. I rummaged through the shelf once more, searching for a wider pair, and then eventually Grint had to come over to help me find them. I can't really tell them apart, I whispered. You'll get the hang of it. You're doing great. I brought the boots over to the man. Oh, look, they're turquoise! And waited for him to remove his shoes. When it grew apparent that he wished for me to do it, ugh, I gulped and undid the laces of the boots he was already wearing. I slipped off the first boot and stifled a gag. 
like boiled rats floating in a pond of excrement they smelled, and then some. For such a fancy chap, this fellow had no sense of podiatry hygiene. Ooh. Ugh. I reluctantly laced him into the new pair of boots, and prayed that they fit. No one else should have been allowed to wear them again, had they not. And thankfully, they fit like a glove. A foot glove, in fact. Oh, absolutely superb! How much for these? Um, I looked to Grant for help. Ten silver, those are. Ten silver? Are you a thief? Whoa! Sir, these are priced as they are because they are made with the highest quality craftsmanship you'll find from Derry to Danbrook, guaranteed to last for 20 years at least. If you ever bust through the stitchings, you just bring them back here, and we'll fix them free of charge. It's not called the eternal soul for nothing. Hmm. Twenty years, you say? At least. Hmm. Well, then, I suppose I shall take them. I assisted the man in paying for his boots, and he asked me if I could dispose of the sour old pair he'd brought in. I crinkled my nose at the offer, and thankfully Grint stepped up to the counter and took them. The man walked out of the store with his new boots still on, happy with his purchase. Grint was equally happy with his purchase, and gave me a hearty slap on the shoulder once the man had left. <laughs> if you can get that snobby old todger to buy a pair, then soon half of Derry will be walking around in my boots. I did good. You did great. Although, it's a ten-year guarantee, not twenty. Though, I don't think that bloke will even make it a full ten, so no worry there. The rest of the afternoon passed quickly. Grint stayed busy at work while I assisted people. And when there weren't any customers, I set about reordering things. Just a few changes here and there to make things look a bit more tidy. I swept up, found the spiders' new homes on the outside of the shop, and dusted off the window display. I kept myself busy enough that my mind only had a few moments to wander towards thoughts of home, or Grand Bauer, or Joe and Graham, and my heart would grow heavy again. It still felt like there was something I should have been doing to make it all feel better, but I couldn't place it for the life of me. At the end of the day, Grint counted out six coppers and placed them in my palm. See you tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. I walked out the door and made for the old man's gimmick. It bothered me that Joe and Graham were so near and that I didn't know what to do about it. So I figured I would just return to my room and come up with a plan. But then I realized I'd never really spent time in a city before. And I could do plenty of scheming at the inn after dinner. So I decided to mosey. There was still a little daylight left, and I headed up the hill towards the castle, where I could get a good view of the city. But I didn't get very far. There were so many shops, and, and many of them were full of things I'd never seen. There was an entire store filled with hats. Hats! What? And there was a bookbinder's workshop that smelled like leather and wax thread. There were cheese shops and herb shops and pottery shops and barrel shops and barber shops and trading shops and... Ah! I felt a little overwhelmed. There was so much... so much muchiness. And I wanted all of it. I fingered the six coppers Grint had given me as I stared through a window at an exotic quill made from the feather of a tropical bird. It gleamed green and blue, with a swirl of red in the middle, and I wanted it. I wasn't used to wanting things. Oh, my whole life we'd made do with what we'd needed, giving little thought to what we wanted. And suddenly, I found myself in a land where almost anything I could imagine wanting rested in a window somewhere, just waiting for someone to buy it. I went inside the shop with a quill and asked how much it cost, just out of curiosity. Five silver it was. Nearly ten times as much as what I had in my hand. Buying it was out of the question. But I thought, hmm, maybe I could save up for it. If I spent a few weeks working for Grint, I could buy all sorts of stuff. But then I remembered Granbauer. And, and how nothing in the city would ever be worth as much to me as he was. I stuffed the coins into my pocket and left the shop. I once more headed up the hill and towards the castle, which I admired in the fading light as the road rose up and up. It was the first castle I'd ever seen, and I must say it looked a sight fairer when I was approaching it out of my own free will. It was made of a dark, rough gray slate, with thick pale mortar holding the stones together. There were several towers and many long halls, and it seemed big enough to house an entire dragon. I could see that the barracks where I had been taken to jail were in a separate building from the castle, though still within the courtyard walls, and the entire state had a grandeur and presence unlike anything I'd ever seen. It seemed to ooze power. 
Lady Lautrec and whoever she kept in her court didn't seem like people to mess with. Not with a house like that. I walked along the circumference of the wall, and near the southern gates, I saw a young woman sitting against the wall with a wooden cup in her hand. She looked dirty, and her clothes were ragged and musty. Her eyes caught mine as I neared her, and she held out her cup. Spare a copper, miss. I stopped before her and considered, Sorry, but I don't really have much. Anything else, miss? It's a cold evening. Well, one copper wouldn't hurt, I thought. I may have been poor too, but at least I knew I had a hot meal coming and a place to stay. Here, I tossed one of my coppers into her cup. Oh, may the gods smile on you, miss. Bless you indeed. Sure thing. Take care. I walked on. Crows flew above the ramparts and flitted about the pale blue flags hanging from the castle walls. Their ah, ah, ah drew attention to how quiet the city had grown, what with people closing up shop and turning in for the night. A stillness hung over the city. The sky turned a pale purple blue, and the first of the evening stars began to glitter in the east. Excuse me, miss. I turned and saw a child behind me, with a tattered wool cap and a torn blanket around his shoulders. He had a small wooden bowl with a few coins in his hand, and he held it out to me. Spare some change? The boy was half my age at the most. His face had soot smudged into it, as if he'd slept close to a fire, and then rubbed his eyes with his little fists when he woke. There was a depth in his eyes that screamed of hunger and fear, of lackness, a shortage of all that made life feel safe and comfortable. I pulled out another copper and tossed it in his bowl. Oh, thank you, miss. Thank you very much. You're welcome. What's your name? Y Yuri. Yuri? Hi. It's nice to meet you. Do you have a place to stay? Suddenly, the boy looked past me, and I saw his eyes go wide. I turned to see what he was looking at, and saw a guard rushing towards us. When I turned to look back at Yuri, he was already several yards away, running quick as a fox. I turned to face the guard. What'd you do that for? No begging allowed at the castle. Why not? It seems as good a place to beg as any. Nah, scam artists they all are. Thieves, really. And that little scamp? He's the worst in town. Seen him sticking his grubby little hands into pockets. My lady provides enough for the folk of this city. Only people begging and stealing are people who are too lazy to find money in a better way. And how do you know that? How do you know they aren't actually in trouble? Oh, they aren't in trouble. They are the trouble. Now scram. But how do you know that? What makes you the authority? The seal on my chest, lady. Who do you think you are asking all these questions? I know what I know because I knows it. Now piss off. I bet Lady Latrec would be interested to hear that you are turning away beggars from her door. Who do you think gives the orders? Nah, -uh, no, nah, mm, no, I met her. She helps people like them. People like me. Oh, you think you're like them? Not too different, no. Well, then that makes you trouble, too. He used the wooden end of his spear to nudge me along. And I couldn't believe how rude it was. Stop it! I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong! Not yet, you ain't. He continued to prod at me with the end of his spear, and I felt my wrath growing hot. He was trying to provoke me! And... And it was working! Oh, stop it! Ow! Ow, that hurts! You're hurting me! I was cut off when he gave me a firm push with his spear handle and knocked me to the ground. I landed hard on my left wrist, and the pain fueled the anger that was rising in my blood. I thought about screaming for help from the guards, but he was the guards. I stood up and prepared to launch myself at this rude, ignorant, unjust man, but just as I was about to lunge, I felt an arm wrap around my neck and pull me back. Panicked, I, I wriggled wildly and broke free of the grip, and I turned to see the woman who had given a copper to. Don't fight, miss! Don't fight the guards! I was too surprised to resist her as she pulled on my arms and dragged me away from the guard, who stood with the metal point of his spear pointed straight at me. You can't win, miss! You can't win! It's not a fair fight! Don't do it! Don't give him a reason to hurt you! She dragged me all the way into the second ring of buildings outside the castle before she stopped running. We both paused for a moment to catch our breath. Why? Why was he so mean? I don't know, miss. Some of the guards get it in their head that they're better than the rest of us little folk. That the law's on their side and they can do what they want. Not all of them. I thought of Reggie. But then I also thought of George. It's not fair. No, no, it's not fair, miss. 
But it's the way things are. But but I thought Lady Latrec took care of the poor and the downtrodden. At, at least she took care of me when I was in jail. You was in jail? Oh my. Just one night. That's a long story. But why aren't they helping you? Well, she tries, miss. Funding the poor houses and all. But when the poor houses are full, there's no place left but the streets. Not unless she builds more. But But there's got to be something she can do about guards like that. I mean, who's supposed to protect us from the people who are supposed to protect us? He shouldn't be allowed to serve. No, no, miss, no, he shouldn't. But again, it's the way things are. I didn't like the way things were. But in that moment, I, I couldn't figure out how to change them. So I did the only thing I could do. I thanked the woman for helping me get out of my scuffle with the guard. And I handed her the rest of my coppers. Here. You need them more than I do. What? Well, thank you, miss. Thank you so very much. May the sun shine bright upon your head. I watched her walk away, and it struck me that people walk differently when they have nowhere to go. Me? I go to the old man's gimmick. Frankie served me a piping hot supper. Talia served me a mulled cider. I was once again completely broke, ethically muddled, and no closer to finding Grand Bauer. But I felt very grateful to have a roof, a meal, and friends. Very grateful indeed. A week passed. Shoes, work, cheese, the sisters, grint, a half-baked plan. There was plenty to keep me busy. I began cleaning work at the old man's gimmick to trade for my room, since my few days of Lady Latrec's support ran out, and I was slowly accumulating a decent bit of coin. At least for my standards. For some reason, the thought of a horse was still very alluring. The speed, the mobility, the companionship. But it would be really expensive, and speed didn't really matter when I didn't really know where I was going. Grint racked his brain for places he thought his parents might be hiding, and he helped me assemble a map of sorts so that I might track them down. The more time we spent together at the Eternal Soul, the more I accepted why he'd let Joe and Graham go. My dad had died when I was eight. And even though it was very different than Grint's situation, I felt that I at least understood a little bit of that longing to have your parents be there. To hold you. To love you. To be yours. I would never get that with my dad. And Grint would never really get that with Joe and Graham, but I understood why he wanted to try. Another week passed. More shoes, more work, more cheese. More sisters, more Grint, more half-baked plans that no longer involved a horse. And then, during my third week in Derry, something happened. Something that would change my entire life. I went in search of some cheese. Ha! Yes, life-changing stuff, cheese. But really, I had gotten into the flow of chatting with customers at the Eternal Soul, so much so that we actually saw a marked rise in customers who had received high praise from friends and had come in. Grint was so busy repairing shoes from other cobbler's shops that he actually asked me to take a day off. He handed me five extra coppers and told me to get myself a nice meal and just go and have a relaxing day. He recommended a pub on the outskirts of the city called the Stinky Boot, which was known for its famous Stinky Boot Blue, a cheese which was revered, even in a city made of cheese. And, as he said, because they've got a cobbler's delight there, the Stinky Boot itself. Legend has it that the boot once belonged to the giant Luzbug, who used to wreak havoc on the farmers of Derry. He could eat 50 milking cows in a day. But a group of farmers banded together and sliced Luzbug's foot clean off with a scythe, and they found that the boot was filled with cheese, due to all the milking cows he'd been eating. Ew! Ugh! And they sell that cheese? Yeah. Still cure it in the stinky old boot. Been doing it for ages. Seems foul as could be, right? But, oh... Oh, the taste of it. Oh, oh my. Well, I'll, I'll go to this stinky boot. For the shoemaking, if nothing else. Oh, it's, it's a gorgeous boot, really. Just beautiful. I took Grant's recommendation and headed towards the outer city, further from the castle than I normally walked. It was funny. As I walked, I realized that I'd already grown quite familiar with Derry. There were certain signs I always liked to look at and certain shopkeepers who I could recognize. I felt fond of the city in a weird way. I wouldn't say like it felt like a home to me, but it was the first place I ever lived besides Fribbleshire, and there was a grandness to living there that made me feel bigger on the inside. After a 20-minute walk, I found the stinky boot. 
aptly named it was, for I smelled it before I saw it. It was a dingy pub on the edge of town, a quarterhouse for travelers and lower-income locals, and the inside reeked of them as much as the cheese. The legendary stinky boot rested atop a ceremonial platform beside the bar, and I saw that there was a plaque with the story written at the base. It was huge. Like, like I could have crawled inside of it and maybe brought a friend kind of huge. And as Grint said, the craftsmanship was excellent. I approached the bar and was keenly aware that most of the eyes in the room were sizing me up as I passed, getting a read of who I was and what the heck I was doing there. My clothing was as drab as the next person's, but I was aware that I looked acutely naive, because, well, I was. Despite this, I took a stool at the bar and asked the portly bearded barkeep for an ale and a plate of cheese. Sure thing, miss. You ever tried it before? No, I haven't. Oh, then you're in luck. This here be one of the finest batches we've ever had. Ha! Huh. I bet you say that to everyone, don't you? The barkeep shot an uneasy look at the woman who'd spoken. She sat a few chairs down from me at the bar and drained the last of her beer. Another one. <clears throat> the woman's face was shrouded by the hood of an amber-colored cloak that was heavily stained at the hem, and her outline was large, muscular, and sturdy. A glint of shining metal poked out beneath her sleeves. A gold-plated bracer, I thought, and the outline of a sword was visible beneath her cloak. My eyes grew wide at the sight of her, or at least the sight of her that I could see. The barkeep refilled her mug from a tapped barrel and filled me a mug as well. When he brought mine over, he leaned in close to whisper, Not often we get rough folk like her in here. Best keep your nose in your own ale if you follow me. The barkeep walked over to the stinky boot, peeled back the tongue, and carved several chunks of cheese onto a wooden plate with several slices of bread. He set it in front of me, and then went off to attend to the tables. I stared at the woman beside me, curious beyond measure. Her hood prevented her from noticing my attentions, so I looked her up and down, absorbing every detail. Her cloak looked finely made, and her leather boots were well-worn, but fine as well. Both garments had a certain elegance, unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and her presence was impeccably strong. I was still staring at her in awe when the barkeep came back, and the woman spoke again. Excuse me, do you have any anti-petrification tonics? Why, no, to be sure. Why do you ask? Because it seems our friend here is frozen. The woman turned in her seat, pulled down her hood, and stared straight at me. What? what the, how did she know I was looking? There's a mirror behind the bar, stupid. I looked across the bar, and sure enough, I found two dark brown eyes staring at me in its reflection. She had pointed ears. And copper dark skin? <gasps> she was an elf! Oh my god, she was a, a badass, beautiful warrior elf! Oh, uh, well, uh, hi. Um, I mean, hi. The elf furrowed her eyebrows and stared at me, good and hard. I sensed fear in her glance, which seemed an unsuitable emotion for such a face. But as she eyed me, her fear dissolved, and she turned to the barkeep once more. What do you put in your cheese? Can you stop staring at me? Oh, so sorry. Uh, I turned away, and the elf pulled her hood back over her head and took a peek behind her shoulder, as if she was worried other people might have seen. I got a grip of myself and turned my attention to the cheese and bread before me. Once I was able to overcome the thought of eating a giant's toe cheese, I took a nibble. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this is incredible. Suit your fancy, does it? Oh, it's delicious. I chowed down, savoring every morsel. I kept an eye on the elf in the mirror. Her shoulders were slumped, weighed down by something much bigger than my annoyingness. And I watched as she drained her mug and put it back on the counter again. Another... The barkeep refilled her mug and then went down to the other end of the bar to chat with the regular. I slid my plate of bread and cheese over to her. Do you want some cheese? The elf looked at the plate, then looked away again. It's really good. Her face remained hidden by her cloak. I pulled the cheese back. I'm sorry for staring at you. I was pretty sheltered growing up, and I've only ever met one other elf before, and even that was just last month. She continued looking straight ahead and sipped her ale. You have a sword? She grabbed her cloak beside her waist and pulled it back to reveal a shining sword as glittering and glamorous as the swords I'd read about in Bertram's books. I leaned in for a closer look, but then she pulled her cloak over it and faced forward once again. Can you use it? The elf turned to me and gave me a look that told me not only could she use it, 
but she would use it on me if I wasn't careful. Yeah, she was a warrior, all right. She was exactly who I wanted to be. Uh, this will sound like an odd question, but do you teach swordsmanship? Yeah, I really want to learn. She sighed and returned to her ale. I've helped train other people, mostly elves, with a few exceptions, but I'm not really in a place to take on any students. Oh, well, what place are you in? The elf gave a deep sigh and didn't respond. It felt like there was a sheet of ice wrapped around her, and the only way I'd be able to talk with her is if I could find a way to melt it. The front door opened, and the elf whipped her head around to see who was coming in. Two farmer-looking types entered and took a seat at a booth with some others, who were evidently their friends based off the shoulder-slapping that ensued. The elf released her tension and drained her mug once again. More. It was the third mug she'd drained since I'd come into the stinky boot, and I had not been in there for very long. The barkeep drew near and reached for her mug. Have you got the coin to pay for all this? The elf slapped a gold piece onto the table, and the barkeep's mouth dropped open. Another ale it is! The barkeep reached his hand out to collect the gold, but the elf put her hand on his. The extra is for your discretion. Understood. I'm a private woman. As you wish, lady. The barkeep refilled her mug and skipped off to the back room with the shiny gold coin. I turned to face the elf and mulled over my words for a moment before asking, There's someone looking for you? Silence. The ice was thick as could be. Do you want to talk about it? How do I know you aren't the person who's been sent to find me? Oh, <laughs> I'm not. Believe me. Uh, well, actually, I, I am trying to find someone. Uh, my best friend, Granbauer, but he's a goat. And honestly, it's, it's not going very well. I don't even know if he's still alive. So, yeah, trust me, you've got nothing to worry about. The elf remained unflinching, and we sat there in silence. Until your best friend is a goat. I sensed a crack in the ice. Yeah, I know. It's odd. <laughs> it certainly is. How did you lose a goat? Well, he was stolen. Uh, have you ever heard of Joe and Graham? They stole your goat! Yeah, yeah, uh, and everything else I possessed, besides a book that my other friend gave to me. Are they also a goat? <laughs> no, he's a human. So how did they trick you, then? Joe and Graham are infamous for their elaborate setups. Oh, it's kind of embarrassing. I won't laugh. Well, they pretended to be kindly old merchants on the road with a broken cart, and they asked me for help unloading it. So Granbauer and I stopped walking and- Wait, you were just casually traveling with your goat? Yes, he likes walking, I like walking, we walk. We'd just left our home for the first time ever, and, and we were only three days into our trip when, when we saw Joe and Graham on the side of the road, and- You've never left home before. No, a, a lot of people have never left home. But anyways, it, it turned out that the cart actually belonged to someone else, and they had attacked him and tied him up behind a tree, but I didn't know that, so I helped them carry all their stuff deep into the woods on a magical shortcut, and then, well, they stole all my stuff while I was asleep and left me into the woods to die. Ta-da! Textbook Joe and Graham. Really, you almost have to admire them. They're artists in a certain way. No! They're thieves and they suck. The elf laughed. A genuine smile crept onto her hooded face, and without the cloud of fear and bluntness above her head, she seemed younger than I had first thought. I had no idea how to date elves, since they lived for hundreds of years, even thousands, and aged differently than humans. But she didn't seem all that much older than me, in elf years, that is. Slowly, the ice thawed. Whether it was the alcohol or my company, I don't know. But it seemed that she was allowing her heart to move and stretch with me in ways that it hadn't in a long time. I learned that her name was Trenia, and she was indeed hiding from something. She still rebuffed most of my questions about her life but she offered good company as I told her about my first month away from home. When I told her about Hamilton the ghosts, she asked, Why didn't you just kill them with the flaming stick? Beat them off? Well, I figured it was worth explaining things first, and besides, they were already dead. I told her about Weston and his cookies, and Grint and his shoes. I left out that he had hosted his outlaw parents without turning them in, and focused more on what I learned about shoes at the Eternal Soul. I told her about Frankie and Rose and Talia at the old man's gimmick, 
and I told her about my dream to someday travel the world with five companions. One who could fight their way out of anything, one who could stealth their way out of anything, one who could talk their way out of anything, one who could think their way out of anything, and one who could make anything out of anything. I'm going to be the fighter, of course, so that's why I need to find someone who can teach me how to do it for real. So far, I'm really only good with a pitchfork. Huh. Well, that won't do. No. No, it won't. But that will be the next step. Learning how to fight and tracking down Joe and Graham. I never meant to stay in Derry for so long. How long will you be here? Just one more beer, I think. No, I, I mean, like, in the, in the city. I know. One more beer. She had at least five since I'd been there. But I suppose alcohol affected elves differently than it did humans. Either way, she was visibly tipsy, and I knew there had to be something behind this unending thirst. What are you running from? She held her mug to her lips and paused. The sound of a falling tree. What does that mean? It means that the woods are no longer safe. I was puzzling over what her words could have meant when the door swung open, and once again, Trenia swirled around in her seat to see who was coming in. A group of people were heading out, in fact, and both of us let out a sigh. Trenia was visibly re-encased in ice, and it was surprisingly painful to watch her adapt to it once again. Like watching a stone accept that its head will always be coated in moss, for it has no hands with which to remove it. Still, I ventured another question. So, then where are you going? I don't know. Oh my gosh! What? That's where I'm going! It was weak, but it got a smile. <laughs> hey, Trenia, this will sound crazy, but if you really don't have anywhere to go, why don't you stay here? I can share the room I have at the old man's gimmick, and, and you could train me how to fight after work. She wasn't instantly shooting me down, so I continued. And then, as soon as I get a whiff of Joe and Graham, we could go and kick their butts together, huh? There, there's a 500 silver reward out there for them. We could split it. What do you say? Trenia raised an eyebrow and looked at me. She was actually considering it. I returned her gaze, and in the brief amount of time that we locked eyes, it felt as though I was reading an entire story. I saw amusement morph into memory, and regret, and then to pain. It was difficult to keep looking. It was so intimate that I felt myself blushing, but I forced myself to keep looking. I thought it might be some kind of elvish stare-down thing where it was rude to look away, so I watched the pain recede and watched resolve come into its place, and finally acceptance of something I couldn't guess. This, of course, all happened in the span of, I don't know, ten seconds? But it was tiring to watch all of those feelings. I couldn't imagine what it was like for Trenia to have all of them. And then she spoke. Sure. Really? I don't have anywhere else to go. Hiding here is as good as hiding in the next town. And you'll train me? I'll show you what I can. But some people aren't made to swing a sword. I am. And now it was my turn to look back at her all resolved and feely and stuff. She smiled again, and I raised my mug. To new friends. To new friends. Just as we clinked mugs, a voice chimed in close behind us. Only new friends. Trenia froze. I saw her knuckles grow pale where they gripped her mug, and her eyes grew wide with fear. I turned to look at the speaker and saw another elf with the same copper-brown skin and long black hair as Trenia. He wore a deep red leather jerkin with gold-threaded embroidery over a soft-woven shirt, and he was fair as Trenia, if more sharp and angular. He must have come in when Trenia and I were having our weird mind-reading moment. Why don't you introduce me to your new friend here? Another mortal, I see. <laughs> what peculiar taste you have. Leave, Theron. Oh, I'd love to. But won't you come with me? Just go home. Tell them I'm dead or something. Oh, you know I can't lie to Mum and Dad. I was never as good at it as you were. I stood up and faced the new elf. Trenia's brother, apparently. She asked you to leave, sir. Oh, and you've already got this one trained for you. How lovely. Leave her out of this. She doesn't know anything. That should have hurt my feelings, but I understood that it was meant to help. Come now, Trenia. Let's make this simple. Trenia stood up slowly from the bar, an undercurrent of rage in her breath and she rose to face Theron. She swayed a bit in her intoxication. Yes, let's. She gave her brother a smile, and then she punched him in the face. He reeled back, 
but kept his feet, and the bar went silent. Theron wiped a trickle of blood from his nose. Right. The hard way, then. Everyone, good people of the bar, I will offer two gold crowns to anyone who will help me detain this woman. Oi, no fighting in my pub! The bar folk began muttering to each other, and I got the gist that people doubted he'd actually pay up. Theron took a coin purse from his belt and jingled it to prove his worth. There's enough for everyone in the bar. Even you? He looked to me. Heck no! But at least a dozen people rose from their chairs, the roughest of the folk who came to such salty places. They fell in behind Theron and faced me and Trenia. I want her alive and uninjured. Understood? Yeah, like, yeah, good. Right. Okay. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. Just a little blood. A few of the bar folk pulled out knives, and I gulped. Trenia turned to me and looked at me with a wild and desperate expression. This is my chance to prove myself, as a friend and a fighter. My heart was pounding, but I curled my hands into fists and nodded. I've got your back. What did I say? No fighting in my pub! And at that, we launched. Or, more accurately, Trenia launched. I'd barely taken a step when I saw her unload a torrent of physical fury. She elbowed and punched and kicked her way through five people before I even got close enough to engage somebody. My first opponent was a surly-looking fellow, with a curled lip and a missing tooth. I'd only ever fought in my imagination, and it was much scarier when a real flesh-and-blood person stood before me. Oh, he took a swipe at my head, but I was quicker than he was, and I dodged it. He took another swipe, and I dodged that too. Then I went in to punch him in the stomach, and to my surprise, it worked! I knocked the wind out of him, and he fell down! But he swiped one of his legs from where he lay and tripped me so that I fell down beside him, our knees scrambling for a hold on the others. I managed to kick him in the groin, and then kicked him again for good measure. He recoiled so sharply that it made me hurt. Ugh. I got back to my feet just in time for a greasy-haired woman to punch me in the jaw, and I went reeling into the bar counter. It really hurt! But, but there was no time to dwell on the pain, because she pounced on me and tried to grapple my arms. But I was able to wiggle out of her grip and shove her off. We clashed again, trying to get the better of one another. And soon I felt her tearing at my hair and, and trying to pull me to the ground. I stepped on her toes with my heels and elbowed her in the stomach. And that gave me enough of an advantage to trip her and grapple her with my legs and arms so that she couldn't move. I had her in a secure headlock when I looked up and realized that in the time it had taken me to subdue two people, Trenia had cleared out the entire force so that only she and her brother remained. They fought each other with blows so fast I had a hard time keeping track of who was trying to punch who. But at the very least, I could tell that Trenia was by far the better fighter. It almost looked like she was entertaining her brother's sparring fancy, not actually fighting. And she was drunk! Pfft. Soon, she landed a solid punch on Theron's cheek, and he staggered back, panting. I watched Trenia sway a bit as she stood, and then put a hand on her sword hilt, as if she meant to draw it. Leave me alone! Oh... My dear sister, you have to face the tribe at some point. Tell them I'm dead. Your death won't erase the problems you've caused. It is your duty to return. It is my duty to be forgotten. Oh, please, get over yourself. Better you forget that mortal wench you called a lover and come home. Theron's words struck a dark chord in Trenian's heart, and quicker than lightning, she spanned the distance between them and kicked him so hard in the chest that he reeled several yards backwards right into the stinky boot. A thick glob of cheesy goop slurped out of the lace holes and onto his head. He was unable to get up from the attack, and grimaced with pain. You can't keep running from this, Trenia. You have been called by the tribe, and it is your fate to answer. Trenia stared at him, and then her head drooped down to her chest, heavy with a mysterious burden once more. She walked to her brother and took the coin purse off his belt, she set down three gold pieces on the counter and gave the barkeep a nod, then scattered the rest of his gold atop the unconscious bar dwellers in the middle of the room. She staggered to the door, proud, yet defeated, and I watched her silhouette disappear as the door closed behind her. It was at that moment that my senses returned to me, and I dropped the woman I had in a headlock and dashed to follow her. Trenia hadn't gone very far, as she was bleeding from a wound in her leg and was still decently drunk. I caught up to her as she rounded the corner of the pub, and I watched as the last of her battle sobriety wore off, and she puked into a rain barrel. 
She pulled back a strand of now chunky hair and looked at me sorrowfully. I'm sorry, Ellie, but I have to leave. She pushed herself back to a standing position and continued walking. But, but, but we were going to be friends and training partners. We still could be, just not here. She stumbled into a wall, then kept walking. You'd take me with you? I wouldn't call it that, but yes, we could travel together. Really? Oh, my gods. It was happening. I was going to be traveling buddies with an elf. It was it was like a dream come true. Oh, just wait until Bertram frowned out. Oh, my goddess. Oh, I composed myself. Okay, I'll come. Trenia paused in her walking and looked at me. It won't be easy. I'm not looking for easy. It won't all be peaches and cream. I don't even like peaches. I can't guarantee your safety. No one can. I'll come. To my surprise, Trenia seemed relieved. She even gave me a smile. All right, then. Let's go. And then she fell over and landed face first in the dirt. I rushed over to her and helped her to her feet. Here, come with me to the old man's gimmick. No, no. I need to get my things, and I'd like to say goodbye to the sisters. And leave a note for Grint. We can lay low for the night. No, no, it's too risky. Well, just think. Your brother won't expect you to stay in town, will he? No, so... So the safest place you could be tonight is here. Besides, you're in no condition to go anywhere on your own right now. And my face really hurts. Come on, you'll get a meal and a nice cozy bed. Fine, but we head out first thing in the morning. Sure. Where to? Trenia leaned over to vomit again, and I did what I could to keep her upright. I don't know. Oh, cool! That's where I wanted to go! It was still really weak. But she still really smiled, despite herself. And we walked down the street together, a drunken elf warrior and her people-to-be. Thanks for listening. I'm Leona Cara, and this is the last episode of the chunk of episodes that I wrote in my artist-in-residency at the Lookout Arts Quarry in December. That means that there's going to be a little bit of a break in between hearing this one and the next episodes. I'm writing them right now, but it'll take a little while. So stick around visit my Patreon page, go out and hug a tree, walk in the snow, walk in the woods or the beach or whatever it is, wherever you have, wherever you live. I hope you're having a magical day, and I'll hope to see you around the fire for episode five, Soulbound. Soulbound.